Hello and welcome to Serial Culture, a show about discovering the world one voice at a time. Each week, people of different cultural backgrounds and languages will tell their stories here for you. I'm Laurie Martinez and I'll be your host. This week, food, glorious food. When you arrive in a new country, one of the things you miss most is food from home. Those comfort foods your parents used to make are ones you shared with friends at a favorite restaurant. For this episode, I interviewed people with different cultural backgrounds about the experience of seeking out the feeling one gets from those meals. I miss the hearing the accent and um, the laughter. And like, I know this sounds super cliche, but like there's always reggae music on. Before, before it would, you, you brew your own like moonshine and then you put spices in it to take away the bad taste and uh, so that's like what we do around noon and then afternoon um, you dance around a maple and the kids and the d- adults the really drunk ones dance as well and we pretend we're frogs and we sing a song that goes you know it's all about frogs and we do the it's hilarious if you're not Swedish it's so weird Within the first two months of me moving to Paris, I'd been Skyping my mom quite often because I missed her so much. And then she hand wrote me like some recipes and then mailed it to me with like this. It was like a like what do you call that? A care package, but inside was like all Chinese seasonings. It was so funny. She sent me like chicken stock, and she was like, "Yeah, chicken stock is like a Chinese Chinese salt." Uh, and you can use this on vegetables and meat and, and everything, and it'll make it taste Asian. In Spanish, there's a term called sobre de mesa, which is staying at the table and talking way after the meal is done. So you just sit there and talk for hours, uh, maybe have a drink, why not? Uh, that, that aspect, that cultural aspect, I really, really like. It's just a bonding exercise, and it's, really, it's just really nice to be with the people you love around a meal. There's nothing better, I think. I don't know if it's just... In the Korean culture, having like a portable gas stove, like you would like take these with you on picnics. It's like such a Korean thing, or like to the beach even. So like every family vacation, we always had like a portable gas stove on us, and we'd like be like making ramen and Korean barbecue grilling, and like all my white friends are like <laughs> eating McDonald's, and I'm like they're grilling my meat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love like everything about that. Like uh, I grew up in a like predominantly white community, and I was like the token Asian, but I like love being different. Usually, your first bite you would give to the person next to you. It's called gosha, and it's uh, out of respect. But um, for me, it kind of feels like uh, more than just a traditional respect. It's a little bit like love because you're really sharing something with someone. And I mean, that's what you do with the people you love, not with anyone. So, and I really have a lot of memories of my father feeding me the first bite always and he still does it and I'm sure people look at us like we're crazy unless they're Ethiopian but I really enjoy it so. We begin our multicultural culinary journey at Aferin in the 17th arrondissement. I meet Sandra, a trend forecaster and designer who's agreed to walk me through the market and tell me about her favorite Swedish foods and the food rituals she's recreated here in Paris. Every time I meet someone here that's Swedish, it's like, yeah, because English is my second language and French is my third. And it's really like such a relief being able to speak without thinking, actually, you know, it's like Swedes do learn English quite early. We're, I think, in like second grade or something. 
but it's still a difference. It's like I don't know a ton of words in English that I like instantly can spit out in Swedish. So it's every time you go, oh, and I even notice like when I go back home and I can speak to anyone, I'm like blah, 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 about everything. You say everything. Yeah. I'm like oh, I like this. I like that. In the store, and I'm normally not a person. I'm a little bit of an introvert. So this whole thing of moving to a different country has really changed me as a person. But food is a really important important part of who you are. And it's also becoming like quite evident when you do a thing like that. I usually call my mom. <laughs> and then I would probably go get some Swedish chocolate uh, and probably watch like a Swedish movie or something like that. Just What's the Swedish movie you um, we have a few really classic ones. They're not really good, but they're about like this Swedish people being abroad. And there was a, a series of movies in the 90s about an. Um, oh, this is going to be so hard. It's going to sound to explain. Uh, but it's uh, an older man going on a charter trip abroad. And it, I think it's even. This one is even from the 80s. It's really old. Like and all the weird things that happens to this person when he's abroad for the first time and you know it's like oh i wonder if they have swedish coffee in the hotel and stuff like that and everyone laughs at him but i can relate a little bit to it and they made five or four movies like this so what is it called um it's called oh how sällskapsresan so it's a I don't know about you. It's trip in the end, but Selskop, I would guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's like being together with others. I don't know. Yeah. Favorite drink? Um, ooh, I would say this one. It's a bubbled water with taste. They have so many different ones. This is cucumber and mint, which I would say it's a boring one because you could almost find this in, in Paris. But they have so many, like, uh, strawberry, peach, and stuff like that. This brand is called Luca. Pretty nice. Uh, favorite dessert? Oh, uh, the cream strawberry one you have on Chris um, Midsummer's. It's really nice. Um, favorite meal? Maybe this smorgasbord smorgasbord cake. A few days later, in the first arrondissement, I meet Irene, a Paris-based fashion photographer. A Korean-American, she grew up spending every summer in South Korea. And as she walked me through the Kmart on Rue Saint-Anne, she spoke fondly of the Korean meals she's been able to make. Um, in Korean, that's um, my name is Eileen W. Cho. Um, I'm 25 years old. I'm from Seattle, U.S. And I'm a Korean-American in Paris and a photographer. So um, you can make rice at home, and we have a, I have a French rice cooker, but a French rice cooker isn't the same as a Korean rice cooker. And even in the States, we ha like at, at my place, my parents' home, I had like three different Korean rice cookers. And here I have a French one, and the rice doesn't come out as sticky. So a solution for that is just buy instant rice, and it costs more, but um, the rice is made by Samsung, and we have the best food engineers. There's a Samsung branded rice so it's called CJ mm -hmm. and it's Samsung's daughter's company oh okay 
Okay. Yeah, so it's like really highly engineered and it was like a revolution when this came out when I was like a child. And headphone, it's called headphone, and you just microwave it for a minute and 30 seconds. And it's like the best tasting rice ever, like really. This is like the best rice. And um, a childhood recipe that my mom used to make is just soy sauce and sesame oil with rice. And um, it's so simple, and I'll eat that when I'm like mi like really homesick. I'll like be sobbing in my Parisian apartment eating rice. Um, but it's really comforting. Um, another thing um, I do that reminds me of home that I do every year in France is on your birthday, you have to eat seaweed soup. Um, you also eat the seaweed soup when you're pregnant because they think that the sliminess of the algae of the seaweed will help with the birth birthing process but you can never eat seaweed soup on the day of like a big test because you might slip because of the algae so that's like Korean myths but you eat it on your birthday because it like again brings you luck and it's supposed to like help you like transition into your new year and in Korea um, when you go something you'll notice like the Jap like in Japan is that convenience stores are really huge um, people like go and eat their meals there and stuff and it's, it tastes so good but it's all instant food so it's awful for you um, so in the winter time like I have like really fond memories of buying like cup ramen and it's like snowing outside but I'm inside in like the warmth and I'm like eating cup noodles by the window and you see all the people walking by the snow um, and my favorite one is the chicken on fire or in Korean it's called puljak pokumyeon and I remember in the States it was so hard to get um, so I would order them off eBay and I would pay like $20 a packet and it's like at most $2 and it is that good though it is so so good and now they have like even spicier versions which is like crazy because the regular one is like super spicy as it is and the way we eat it in Korea is we add cheese and corn to it so it's not that instant uh, it makes me feel better to think about that and it's so hot that you definitely need like a glass of milk to eat, like get through a packet. Oh, so these gold pots over there are really special because it, it's just a gold pot, but it's what we use in Korean culture to cook ramen traditionally. And um, you cook it here and the, the pan is designed in a way to make the water boil faster. And then you eat the noodles off the lid like this. Yeah, so these are like, really like reminiscent of home. For some, finding the right ingredients isn't that easy. Sutanya, a Jamaican-American, has had particular difficulty considering her community is much smaller in Paris. Like, one of my fondest memories is waking up on a Saturday morning and my mom playing reggae music and like making breakfast, like a traditional Jamaican breakfast. So like me, the smells and like, the music and like my mom like dancing in the kitchen. So um, my name is Tatanya, uh, 31 years old, gonna be 32 in September. Uh, from New York, born in Jamaica, moved to New York City when I was four years old. And aside from a couple years of grad school and undergrad in Connecticut, um, I lived in New York until I moved to Paris. Both, well, both my parents are Jamaican and I think the fact that I when I was younger, I used to go every single summer. I stopped going every summer right after high school. My parents were like, all right, like you're in college now, like if you wanna go to Jamaica, either you work in the summer, or if you want to go to Jamaica, like you figure out how you can pay for your ticket <laughs> to go. So, and also like I was 18, so I'm like, I don't wanna go to Jamaica, I wanna hang out with my friends, I wanna do this, you know? Yeah. So I took, I, we didn't go back 
for a long time um, until 2014 was the last so last time I before prior to 2014 I want to say the last time I went to Jamaica was like 2000 like no like 2000 yeah 2002 2003 the food was exactly the same the the smells were the same it was just like being there the regular music all over the place was the same um, yeah everything in terms of in that aspect was the same and no I don't feel I don't feel like half I definitely feel just as much Jamaican as I do American what scares me actually is that if I don't and I think this is one of the reasons why um, when I was when I had that bout of homesickness I was like adamant about like finding what I need to find in order to make this dish because I don't want to lose that Jamaican-ness mm. and I because I'm not surrounded by it and I'm trying so much to assimilate to French culture while keeping like my American side I kind of felt like my Jamaican-ness was going my, yeah, my little spiciness was like fading yeah and becoming tame I was like no 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 let me get some plantains up in here <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is fried dumplings ackee and saltfish and fried plantains our fried dumplings they're it's kind of like a southern style biscuit sort of because it's, it's not like Chinese dumplings where there's anything inside it's just like flour um, it's flour baking powder baking soda my mom puts butter in it because she's a genius <laughs> and salt and you just put water and you make like a dough you let the dough sit for like 10 minutes to get all you know the chemicals whatever sciencey stuff and then um you like break it off into little balls and you fry them and then so aki it's actually the national like fruit of jamaica and i don't know how to describe it, it looks like scrambled eggs um and it has it can have like quite a bitter taste but if you like put the right seasonings it tastes delicious and we do that with uh codfish mm -hmm. or in french it's moru mm, i think in french it's moru and um yeah you do like a little stew so it's the ackee the saltfish uh, red peppers green peppers tomatoes onions like hot chili sauce like all the things olive oil you mix that down like you you know you make it into like a stew you let that simmer everything gets all like yummy together <laughs> and then um fried plantains you know just fry those bad boys up so yeah so i made that for the first time a couple weeks ago um right before my 40th anniversary parish at this bout of homesickness Talk to, you know, talking to your parents, one thing, talking to my sister is one thing, like listening to reggae music is one thing, but like I just needed to like have like the smells that make me feel comfortable and safe and happy and the the taste, I just need, I needed to smell that in my home, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I need to taste that in my home here in Paris. So um, the flour and stuff, easy to find. Um, although I tried making dumplings before, like just fried dumplings. And I didn't realize that the flowers in the U.S. and in France are different. Yeah. So I'm this like mad hunt research, like <laughs> try like, I was like looking, you know, David Levovitz. Yeah, yeah. I was like looking on his blog about the different flowers and like <laughs> other blogs and then like testing. So I finally found the right flower. I bought it in Naturalia, some like pastry flour, whatever. Um. So yeah, I'd already had my flour. Plantains are easy to find here mm -hmm. because you know. Yeah, plantains. Everybody's well, not everybody, but you have the African population here, the like Spanish population that eats plantains. But the salt fish, I was like, where am I gonna find that? Mm -hmm. And luckily enough, I was just like bopping around the 18th, and I saw in a poissonnerie that they have codfish. I was like, <laughs> so I uh, yeah, I bought all my stuff. I went home. I put on my reggae music. You jammed out. Yeah, and I made it happen.
Because you take pictures, you do you kind of call your family and Oh, my God, yeah. I, I've sent my mom, like, in preparation photos. And when I was making it here, it was noon, right? Yeah. So, like, it was, like, 11. Because, you know, I love brunch. Um, it was, like, 11 noon. So it was, like, 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. So my mom woke up with, like, all these photos of me, like, <laughs> my hands and, like, my hand in, like, the dumpling dough. <laughs> like, it on the stove. <laughs> and all she sent me, she was like, oh, that looks great. <laughs> she wasn't as impressed as you would have liked. Yeah, no, no. She was like, oh, my God, my baby girl, look at you. She's like, great. You're an adult. <laughs> you, you know, you know how to make your own food. I know, right? Nice. Pretty much. That was her reaction, like, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I want to just, I want to get more comfortable and confident in cooking my own food first before like venturing out if that sounds I mean that might sound weird but like I don't know like I I wouldn't I've deprived myself of Jamaican food here at least for four years and you don't unless go I go home, home. Yeah, yeah unless I go home but like when I'm in Paris I've deprived myself of Jamaican food for four years like and now that I made this dish and it was a success like I'm, I kind of want to like go a little deeper into Jamaican cuisine I don't know I think I was just like as much as I, I love it here, right? Like I love France and I see myself here for a long time and I hope I'm able to stay here for a long time. Um, sometimes I just don't feel understood, you know? Like I just, I don't understand the way, what the, I don't understand their logic sometimes or the way they think. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not being understood. Um, I don't know, sometimes, yeah, I just like, I just want to be around like, other Jamaicans, other Americans even. I just want to be like comfortable. But you're living in a perpetual state of like discomfort and otherness and being on the outside. And it's okay if you've like come to terms with that. It's fine and you can do it. Uh, and I've come to terms with that. But sometimes it's just too much. Sometimes it's just like, <sighs> you know, like, <laughs> I think it's just, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like being in one place or, you know, seeing a person or hearing something or seeing, yeah, or seeing something. I was tired of feeling like an outsider. And even if it was just in my little 40 something square meter apartment, I could feel like I was in Jamaica or New York for like a couple hours and I wanted that. That's all. Sometimes it seems like we can't find that specific spice, vegetable, or special flour, and we resort to finding the few restaurants that serve our home foods. I meet Abinette at a tiny restaurant called Habesha in the 15th arrondissement. She is an Ethiopian-American who, like Sutanya, has had difficulty finding her home foods. Until now. We walked into the small salon to do our interview and were greeted by a waiter and restaurant owner, Alex who was very excited to share elements of Ethiopian culture throughout our dinner. Guna. Guna. And you know, uh, coffee was discovered in Ethiopia. Really? So we've had the most time to perfect it. Hmm. <laughs> you know the story of Kaldi? Kaldi? The, the goat herb. Yeah, the goat herb. Yeah. Kaldi. Yeah. They say that uh, there was a goat herb it's called uh, Kaldi. Once he saw his uh, goat eating the leaf of a coffee, and she became excited. And next time he, he saw her again, 
and then he brings his uh, the coffee plants. He, he lives in his house and he tested it. He became excited, I, I think. And then he collects the, uh, what do we call the, the grain of coffee, the beans. The beans. And then he tried. And uh, in that way that he discovered that the coffee is... Uh, coffee, coffee. Yeah. So really, an Ethiopian goat discovered coffee. <laughs> Uh, Abisha basically refers to uh, Ethiopians and Eritreans are from that area. Uh, it's the polite way to say it. And my name is Abinet Burhanu, which is a traditional Ethiopian name. Um, and I'm 23. And I would say, yeah, I identify as Ethiopian American. Uh, yeah, never just one. So can you kind of walk me through this menu? Yeah. Okay, so basically, Ethiopia for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, more or less, you eat the same thing. <laughs> so it all starts with injera, which is like a spongy bread, kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like a crap. It's made out of a grain called tuf, which is native to Ethiopia. It's gluten-free and yeah. So you have the big flat bread, it covers your entire plate. And then you have what, which is uh, different meats and stews. It's kind of an equivalent to curry. And so you have the what, and um, you have different what. So you have doro what. Doro means chicken. It's chicken what. You have alecha tibs. Alecha is like a milder spice. Um, tibs is a square cuts of meat, but it can be lamb or beef or anything. And it's made with onions, tomato, and usually a pepper, like jalapeno or something like that. And so it all goes on top of the injera. And the vegetable dishes, a lot of lentils, potatoes, things like that. And then you just tear a piece of the injera and you grab what you want to eat, and that's how you eat it. So you continuously just eat off your plate. You eat the injera that's under the stuff. It's the best part because it's like soaked in the sauce. And you, uh, what is your favorite Ethiopian meal? Aleche tips. It's uh, the square cut meat. I love lamb. It's super tender, really fresh. Uh, and it, yeah, it's always been my favorite. Can you kind of describe the ritual of eating in Ethiopia? Mm. Yeah, so um, traditionally, uh, we all share on one big plate. You share everything, but you shouldn't reach across. You should eat what's near you and uh, turn the plate as you want to try other things. Um, the elders always eat first, traditionally. Also, uh, out of respect, you know, you feed the person next to you first, the first bite. Um, and you also, you always eat with your right hand. The left hand is seen as dirty. Uh, they say you eat with your right and you, you know, wipe your ass with your left. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, and, uh, and we drink beer and wine and, um, yeah, and after the meal, it's traditional to have coffee. And the, the coffee is really like kind of a, a ritual. So they roast the beans fresh, they bring the pan hot and they're, they're sizzling and they bring it to you and it's just smoke because you know they're just roasting at the bottom, no water. And you're supposed to take in the aroma so you, you wave the smoke towards you. Mm. Uh, then they sit down at a traditional table and they pour each coffee uh, on one tray and then they give it out to each person. And you should never refuse the coffee. Ever. Ever. There are no, 
no exceptions. <laughs> what did you feel like when you first find out, found out that you couldn't find Ethiopian stuff or Ethiopian food when you moved to Paris? Mm. Actually, I mean, I was, uh, I wasn't surprised that there were no markets because I've lived abroad before and I've ran into that problem. I was actually really like pleasantly surprised at how many Ethiopian restaurants there are here. But because of local taste and cuisine, it's not as spicy as I like it. So <laughs> usually I have to ask the restaurant, to, you know, I'm Ethiopian, I need the real food, the real stuff. Please. As I rounded up my interviews, I realized that sometimes the best way to get over being homesick is seeking out others to share a meal, and in turn, share our culture with them. For my final interview, I spoke with Jocelyn Ho, a Taiwanese-American co-founder of Chop Shakes in Paris a Facebook group and blog designed to help others discover the Asian food she grew up with here in Paris. The concept is simple. RSVP for a dinner on their page and join six other strangers for a dinner at an authentic Asian restaurant in Paris. We uh, kind of got together and brainstormed some ideas and I thought of the name Chop, Chop Chicks in Paris. <laughs> We, we also thought of like Beauty and the Baguette or something like that. So cheesy, so cheesy. Um, but, but Chop Chicks kind of was the one that, that shone through because we had these three chicks that are um, discovering the best Asian food in Paris is essentially our kind of motto. Um, and, and we quickly came up with the idea that, you know, instead of just us three girls trying this, these Asian cuisine, uh, Asian restaurants around Paris, that we should invite other people to come try it with us because we know we're not the only three girls in Paris who are feeling this ache, you know, this longing for, for Asian cuisine. Um, and so we started to kind of share our, our, our events of where we, which restaurants we plan to try on Facebook and, and, you know, said, okay, anyone who wants to come eat with us, like, you're, you're free to, just RSVP. And um, it's, it's been, like, I can't. I couldn't even imagine doing this without having that aspect to what to, to these meals that we do. Because if we were to just eat with each other, it would be amazing. And we are already, you know, very close and you know, sharing all our stories with each other. And I, I certainly feel now like I have like this solid group of people that I feel comfortable and like if anything like 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 a family outside of outside of America, outside of California. Um, but it's like these people that we meet every week that kind of like remind me of why I'm so happy and so lucky to be in Paris and like thankful for where I am. Whereas before I was like really having trouble remembering why I came here and like, you know, oh, you know, oh, it's really hard. I'm really missing my family, da, 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 da. But now that I've, you know, found these two girls that I really share this passion for food with, but then we get to also help other people kind of feel that way or at least like identify how, you know, what, like, share with us like why did you come to Paris and you know what do you love about Paris what do you miss about home like we have the same similar com kind of conversations each week but the way that the conversation goes from from there is so different and it's really 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 amazing and you kind of see people's eyes light up when they're like oh you know like I, I love Korean cuisine and and it's not just like expats that come it's also local French people that have started to come which is like so special as well because a lot of people have express the, the difficulty to meeting French people and kind of like really connecting with locals. Um, and I, I, I find this to be a, a terrific way to, to do so. Um, there's like one French girl who's come to a couple of our meals, like a Thai restaurant, a Korean restaurant, and then we found out that Korean cuisine is like basically her favorite cuisine and she like rarely gets to eat it with other people in, in Paris. Um, and that she 
she's learned Korean on her own, like, in three years, and she goes to South Korea, like, every year for, like, fun, and, and to visit her friends, and I'm just like, wow, your life is awesome, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm so glad that we were able to meet you through this, this experience, and, and just, like, share, share stories and share these moments with someone who you can relate so much to, even though I'm American and Taiwanese and you're French and you have a passion for Korean culture, like, this is what we need to bridge the, the cultural gap between us, you know? Not necessarily language gap because she speaks like perfect English as well, perfect English, perfect French, and very good Korean. But like, it's just, it's so, it's something that, you know, people, I think people really crave these kind of genuine, authentic connections with other people, but just find it difficult. Uh, difficult to find a catalyst to 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 like to create those those initiate those interactions, you know, and so that's what we've attempted to do through Chop Chicks. On one hand, is like kind of tackle the isolation that we feel as individuals, or certainly I, I felt when I first moved here. Um, and then the other half of that is you know meeting and connecting with other expats and locals, but also giving them a way to kind of, you know, discover more of, of Paris, but also connect with where they came from. When my parents are talking to other people in the community, like their fa their friends or kind of friends of friends, they like to boast about these kind of things. You know, they won't boast about me in front of my face to give me the, the, the glory of that, but they, I, I know that they definitely talk to their, their friends about it, and they're, they're very proud in that way. I can, especially for my dad, I can see every time I, I call him uh, or FaceTime him from here and he's out eating lunch with someone, he's like, oh, oh, this... this in Chinese, this means, uh, oh, that's my daughter. Yeah, she, she lives in France now, and she, she works there, and she, she writes about Asian food. It's so cute, so sweet. So, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely happy that, I, that I've, I think they're happiest that I've found a way to, to be happy myself, you know, whether that was going to be through food or not. Um, but probably double, double bonus points that it's about around something that is our heritage and that I'm very, very connected and, and, and proud of that. And, um, Kind of finding a way to share that with other people outside of my circle. On a typical day in Taiwan, for breakfast you could have porridge, which is also called zhou, and uh, the porridge is often having chunks of sweet potato or pumpkin inside it, and then you eat this alongside um, small dishes, and I would call them kind of, you know how in France you have the plancha with cornichon and uh, little onions and stuff like that. Well, with the porridge, you have, um, it's called rosong, which is like dried, shredded pork. And then you put this on top of your porridge. You can have it with pickled uh, pickles, pickled pickles. <laughs> um, also uh, pickled bamboo shoots and uh, uh, pickled tofu kind of stuff. A lot of fermented stuff in Taiwanese and in general Asian cuisine. And so you have all these little condiments and then you eat them along with your porridge. And this is a very, very typical, like, at home, you eat this, uh, this kind of uh, meal. Breakfast and lunch can be very, it's interchangeable. You know, we eat savory, savory foods for every meal of the day. So um, for lunch, you might eat beef noodle soup, which is called niu rou mian. Um, you would have some vegetables on the side with that. My favorite Ta uh, Taiwanese vegetable is called ei tai. Uh, it's kind of like a, a stock. Uh, lettuce stock uh, cooked in oil and with some garlic slices. So good. Uh, so you can have this beef noodle soup with um, the Chinese Taiwanese vegetables on the side. Um, and then there's something called uh, uh, green onion sca scallion pancake. And uh, a good place to get this green onion scallion pancake is actually 
two minutes walk from here at a restaurant called Bopo, it's spelled B-O-P-O-M-E. This is a play on the Chinese uh, phonetics for Bopoma, which is how you learn Chinese in, when you're little, it's phonetics in Chinese. Um, but they do, they specialize in street food of Taiwan, and so they sell these uh, green onion scallion pancakes, which is like, not really the consistency of a pancake, but more like flatbread or, or like roti, if you know that. Uh, and um, so for lunch, you could have that. Uh, it's also in Taiwan very, very popular for street food, fried street foods. Um, so between lunch and dinner or around uh, late night time, you can have these street foods where you have uh, fried chicken. Kind of looks like the popcorn chicken that, uh, you know, the popcorn chicken shape. Um, this is called yan shu ji, and it's like salt and pepper chicken that they fry fry up and then they put inside a, a cup or a sack and it's so cheap in Taiwan. You get it for like two two dollars, so like one euro fifty. Um, and uh, at also the same place I mentioned in Republic, Popoma, you can get this uh, yan shu ji and it's served with basil inside it, which is like the key to making it taste like Taiwanese style. So good. And then for dinner, um, in, in Taiwan, I mean, there's so many different things. There's like a lot of, we eat a lot of beef, a lot of pork, a lot of seafood. Um, there is one dish, so uh, in, in uh, especially Chinese and Taiwanese um, culture, we eat family style. So you often don't order just one plate for yourself. You order multiple dishes and then you share it around the table. And so there is one restaurant in Paris called Zenzu that serves many, many of these uh, Taiwanese-style dishes. One of them is called, uh, in English, it's, it's lion's head, but it's a huge meatball, and it looks like a lion's head, and that's why they call it that. So it's called shizutou, and uh, it's kind of this big meatball stewed with cabbage and other veggies and this delicious sauce. Uh, to be honest, I'm actually not sure what the key, the key sauce is in it, but it's amazing. And uh, so you might have you know, this lion's head, uh, you might have another rendition of a noodle soup because Taiwanese people love noodle soup. So you have wonton noodle soup, beef noodle soup, um, seafood noodle soup. Um, you know, if you put soup and noodles together, you're guaranteed that Taiwanese people are going to love it. Um, and uh, yeah, so Zenzu is a really, really amazing restaurant that you can try. I've been there a couple times um, and they have a wide variety of, of these kind of savory dishes that you can order for lunch or uh, dinner. And, uh, uh, but we're not really big on there being like, you know, an appetizer, a uh, main and a dessert. It's more just kind of, you eat all the savory dishes and you might have like a tiny little cup of red bean soup after. But uh, in Taiwan, we're really famous for bubble milk tea or pearl milk tea, which is called jinju nai cha or boba nai cha. And there's uh, quite a few places in Paris that you can, that you can get this. Uh, my favorite being cha time, which is also near opera in, um, next to, really close to Zenzu actually. So if you go to Zenzu, they have bubble milk tea, but you can also walk to Cha Time after to get some of that if you want. But yeah, so in the beginning, for the first month, I was like eating at these Chinese trattorias and it was just so unsatisfying. And um, when I went to Taiwan, after the three, three first months of being in France, I like got my fill of Asian food and I was living with you know my grandparents. And so I requested for her to show me some of the recipes that she was making for like soy sauce pork or, um, you know, clam, like um, it's kind of a Japanese Taiwanese fusion on, on steamed clams with ginger. Um, even uh, like Chinese medicine, which is kind of more like 
kind of like homeopathic. It's, it's really tied to the cuisine, Chinese medicine. And so making these soups that are like made with herbs and just really, really good for you. And all of these things, I was like, I need to soak in as much knowledge as I can before I go back because I need to bring this with me to Paris. If I can't find it in, in restaurants, I'm just going to have to cook it myself at home. And so when I was in Taiwan and with my grandma and eating her home-cooked food every single day, I felt this love and this like appreciation for this three months in my life like I had never felt before. I was like, I need to remember every single flavor, every single dish, every single moment of this because I'm gonna miss it so much when I get back to Paris. Like I just, I just knew it. So when I got back to Paris uh, in January, uh, February of this year, um, I, my boyfriend and I went to the you know nearest Korean supermarket where we could buy some Asian ingredients and like I bought miso, uh, miso paste and and um, you know brown brown rice vinegar, uh, you know the sesame oil and all these ingredients so I could make like mapo tofu and stuff like that at home and I cooked I cooked us some some dishes and it you know probably wasn't the best cooking but just the fact that I tried and you know I used the proper ingredients was like I felt. A hole in this hole in my heart being filled like I used to I used to be so upset when 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 I would think of home and da da da, da. but then like I ate this food and I, I swear I had like a tear of joy like dropped from my face because I was so emotional I was like I recreated it like I, I can like make this freaking pork sauce that I, I had in Taiwan and I had at home and I would you know in California every Saturday and Sunday I would go eat at either a Vietnamese pho restaurant or dim sum with my parents and you always order the same dishes like I've seriously been eating the same dishes for like 20 25 years of my life and and to just like suddenly be able to taste that again in in Paris at home is like it was just an emotional over overload for me um, and uh, it was just, it, it's emotional overload, but also a realization that I, I found a way to make myself feel okay here because I, had, I didn't have that when I first moved here. This episode was produced by Lori Martinez for Serial Culture, now available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Serial Culture is part of Les Raconteuses, a multilingual podcast network dedicated to building cultural bridges through storytelling. You can find more information about us on our website, lesraconteuses.com, and on Facebook by searching Les Raconteuses. Thanks for listening.